Thanks for watching MTD Business. Coming up, America is losing dominance in top university rankings, while China is catching up fast. What's behind it? As mortgage rates keep soaring, more home buyers are getting riskier loans. We look at the dangers. We speak to the CEO of a popular social media platform who tells us that TikTok is building a physiological profile on you and it knows you better than you know yourself. We have that and much more coming up on NTD Business. It's great to have you with us. Paul Graney here. The Biden administration proposed a rule Tuesday targeting America's independent contractors or gig workers. It wants to force them to become employees even if they prefer to work independently. Right away, groups from various industries criticized the proposal. Companies that rely on gig workers say the proposed rule will raise their labor costs in an already inflationary economy. They plan to lobby for changes to the proposal before it's finalized in the coming months. The proposal says when workers are economically dependent on a company, they should be classified as employees and not independent contractors. That designation would mean they're entitled to minimum wage, overtime pay, and other legal protection. Sounds good. But many gig workers, like Uber drivers or freelance graphic designers, they prefer to work independently because it allows them more job flexibility. It also allows them to offer their services for cheaper, since the client doesn't need to fork out the added costs that go with full employment. Keep you updated. And wholesale prices continue to rise in the U.S. Bad news for those of us looking for a break on rampant inflation. Today, the Labor Department reported that U.S. producer price index rose at an annual pace of 8.5% in September, and prices jumped a significant 0.4% month over month. Energy was up a little over under percent, food prices jumped 1.2%, and services up half a percent. Federal Reserve has been hiking interest rates at an unprecedented pace in an effort to cool the economy, but there are concerns that the rate hikes are happening too fast and that it could soon lead to a recession. And as rates climb higher, mortgage demand is dropping. But one type of loan is still attracting borrowers, that is, adjustable rate mortgages. But they're riskier. Indeed, Sean Marshall reports. High rates are causing increased demand for risky adjustable rate home loans. Buyers have stepped way back this fall as higher rates have made affordability even more difficult. Mortgage expert Ted Rossman filled me in on the risks of taking on an adjustable rate mortgage loan. You know, the average person stays in their home for 13 years. So if you have a 5-1 arm, you're going to be facing many years of resets. And this could potentially go higher. That new payment may not be affordable. It may not be easy to refinance into a fixed loan, depending on the rates at the time and what's happened with your credit score and your home appraisal. So um, it, there's a lot of interest rate risk there. Home mortgage loan applications fell 2% for the week, were 39% lower than a year ago. Home building and sales dropped dramatically in recent months, with home resales posting seven straight months of declines. I asked Rossman if he expects mortgage rates to keep going up. According to our data, the average right now is 6.75. 
percent for the 30-year fixed. We could well cross seven percent soon. Part of this is that the Fed has signaled that more aggressive rate hikes are coming and that they don't believe that the job is done with respect to fighting inflation. But home prices are still high, even as price growth slows down. And this is causing less affordability for a competing crowd of home buyers due to a shortage of properties for sale. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And as financial markets get to grips with higher interest rates and persistent inflation, stocks ended lower today. The Dow lost 28 points, one-tenth of a percent. S&P fell 12 points, three-tenths of a percent. And the Nasdaq's down nine points, one-tenth of a percent. And in today's special report, America's universities fell again in world rankings. And China's universities rose. This according to Times Higher Education, a major publication that ranks schools worldwide. The U.S. is still ahead. Seven out of the top ten list are on our American universities. You know them, Harvard, Stanford, MIT. But in the top 100, America used to have 43 schools back in 2018. Now it's dropped from 43 to 34. Over the same period, China went from having just two in the top ten to having seven. If you're curious, Tsinghua University, China's top school on the list in 16th place, then Peking University and Fudan University at 51. Of course, we know America and China, currently the world's two biggest superpowers. America, pretty far ahead of China in a lot of ways, such as GDP, inventiveness, strength of currency, and the military. But China's catching up fast. In fact, hedge fund superstar Ray Dalio openly believes China will overtake America in the near future. In fact, this could be happening right now in education. So the U.S. has 34 universities in the top 100, while China has only seven. America's still clearly in the lead, but the Times Higher Education's knowledge chief, of, no, chief knowledge officer told us there's more to it than just that. China overtook America in the volume of research published, so the sheer number of research papers that the scale of research coming out of China has now overtaken America. That's a, a major tipping point that happened in the last two or three years. China has always been behind on the quality of that research. They've been good at producing volume, but overall the quality has not been as high as America. But what we're really starting to see now is the convergence of the lines, the slight drop for American quality and the increase of Chinese quality. Times Higher Education puts emphasis on each university's research and its rankings. And it found that not only does China produce more research, a higher percentage of it was among the top 1% of the world's most cited papers. The group tells us that the situation may continue like this. We may find not too far in the future that China not only is overtaking on volume and quantity, they may soon overtake on quality as well, and particularly in key areas of incredible economic and uh, geopolitical importance like artificial intelligence, computing, engineering. So it's a, it's a major shift in the, in the balance of power of the knowledge economy. So why is America's status dropping? Professor Richard Vedder, who formerly worked in college rankings for Forbes, told us a lot of it involves funding. You need money to build the laboratories, to buy the equipment, to pay salaries, etc. We've had uh, massive government involvement, the National Science Foundation, the defense uh, establishment uh, invested uh, heavily, 
uh, atomic energy uh, uh, research was uh, powerful and important. And of course, health research, National Institutes of Health in the US, for example, would be an important example. But in the last 20, 25 years, while we've continued to modestly increase expenditures in these areas, they're going up maybe one or two percent a year in real terms, and some years nothing, zero. Uh, whereas China is increasing its expenditures maybe 10% a year or 15% a year. But Vedder does see another reason behind America's decline, our culture. We have lost sight of the core activities of the universities in the United States. This, again, of course, is my personal opinion. We're too worried about uh, secondary things. And, and uh, they're, they're not insignificant things, but they're not what university is about. University is about learning, students learning, and about expanding the amount of learning, the amount of knowledge that society as a whole has, the frontiers of knowledge. And uh, diversity and inclusion may be a good idea, uh, uh, but should we be devoting an enormous amount of time and energy and research uh, uh, resources to talking about it, and uh, should that become our primary focus? Vetter doesn't think it should be our primary focus, but there are signs of what he's talking about all over the country. The University of California getting rid of the SATs, New York City wanting to get rid of its gifted and talented program, all in the name of equity, the promotion of metrics other than academic merit. The director of research at AIER, Phil Magnus, concurs that the culture is playing a big role. He also sees less of a focus on actual education. Our university system has moved dramatically to the political left, especially in the last 20 years. And I think the general public is waking up to the fact that the American university system uh, is biased. It engages in political activism rather than scholarly research. And, uh, you know, that diminishes the willingness of people to pay money for the uh, degrees and services that they purport to be providing. It should be said that America's drop doesn't necessarily mean our schools have gotten worse. It may just mean that other schools have gotten better. Times Higher Education says that in the global competition, you have to run very fast just to stay still. And the UK spy chief Jeremy Fleming says he thinks it's okay for young people to use TikTok, you know, the video app that's owned by a Chinese company. Tuesday told British news outlet BBC that, quote, no, I wouldn't stop children from using TikTok, make those videos, use TikTok, but just think before you do. He adds, though, kids, that should, kids should be aware of their personal data and how it's shared. Some background, TikTok is owned by Chinese company ByteDance, and under Chinese law, this means that any executive at TikTok or ByteDance could be legally compelled by the CCP to hand over the company's data. That could mean your data. TikTok's own privacy policy even says, quote, we can share data with our corporate group. And in a congressional hearing, TikTok admitted that their corporate group includes China's ByteDance. Anthony's Don Moss spoke to the CEO of free speech platform Getter earlier today to see what he has to say about TikTok. Here's the conversation. Jason, thanks for coming on today. Great to be here with you. 
So, you know, TikTok, one of the most popular social media platforms, why do you say it's, it's, it's a threat to the American people? Well, it's in an evil genius kind of way. Uh, this could have more of an undermining impact on uh, America's sovereignty and America's independence, uh, especially in the, the battle against the CCP in decades going forward. And what I mean by this evil genius is right now the TikTok algorithm is so good, it is so highly developed, they literally know what you want before you know it. They know you what images to feed you, they know what you're going to react to, they know what ads to go and send to you. Uh, they know it's, it's gotten so specific. So say you have someone, I know their terms of service say you need to be 13, but kids get on it uh, much younger than 13 when all of their friends are on it. And they start building that psychographic profile of everything about you. Imagine, go back in a time machine to everything that you first started thinking about images and attitudes and opinions from the age of say 10 until now as an adult. Not just say you get older to voting age, they're gonna know everything about you. But then going forward as you enter the workforce, when you get out of college, and then even going say maybe 20, 30 years down the road, you run for office. They will have decades of psychographic analysis into your user profile. And again, if this was say something uh, uh, just, you know, maybe there's your your Amazon account. Uh, people can see here's what you've been buying. Here's what there might be a product affinity for. That's one thing, but since we know the CCP has access to American user data, um, then literally the CCP is gonna know everything about American TikTok users um, for their the entirety of their lives. Now, give me a practical example. If the CCP has these kind of information on you, what can what can they do with it? Ah, great question. Because start thinking about as we approach uh, American elections, then how do they want to manipulate the algorithm uh, as far as what images certain people in certain groups actually see, uh, or say that they're say for example. Uh, China is out testing um, uh, the supersonic missiles uh, and they want to say they want to suppress um, some of those videos or discussions on that as it pertains to certain audiences. Or say for example, maybe there's a policy matter that the CCP um, wants to see enacted in the United States. Maybe it's to be supportive of a candidate who they view as being uh, weaker when it comes to standing up to the CCP. So my very real concern Concern is say for example uh, in even going back to 2020 I've never actually discussed this before but as I've learned more about TikTok in recent uh, recent months and recent years my concern would be we knew President Trump was standing up and being tough on China and the CCP we knew Joe Biden very much has issues with his family's business dealings in China uh, there was a whole Hunter Biden laptop I would like to know if ByteDance and TikTok, if any algorithms were manipulated in advance of the 2020 election based off of no, their knowing that Joe Biden would be weaker when it came to standing up to the CCP as opposed to President Trump. Uh, I'm sure the answer, I'm sure if we asked them, the answer would be no, of course not, we don't do that. Um, I'm not sure I'd necessarily uh, believe that. You recently told the Epoch Times that they could be building a psychographic analysis of an entire generation. Can you talk a little bit more about that? It's scary. It's very scary. And I take, uh, for example, my oldest daughter just turned 14. Uh, we had to take TikTok away from her. Uh, but the, the very fact that 
they already you know probably had a year or two um, of knowledge about what kind of videos she might like and um, what kind of things she'd hit like on or share with her friends or those types of things but then imagine as she goes to high school going into college uh, then going into early adulthood things uh, as far as uh, what political commentary what different things uh, how she would react for example to different images this is something that I react favorably to or negatively to and then uh, say for example uh, everyone in America thinks that their child is going to grow up and be president one day. It's one of the great things about America. Say my daughter were to decide to run for office in 20 years or in 30 years, then she could be, for example, a member of Congress if she was on TikTok during that time where they would already know their opinions on everything. That's where it gets scary. All right. Thank you very much. Jason Miller, thanks for coming up. Thanks for having me. And turning to Europe and the European energy crisis, an oil leak was detected on a pipeline in Poland that's the main route for Russian crude heading to Germany. The incident follows leaks late last month in the Nord Stream 1 and Nord Stream 2 pipelines running along the Baltic seabed. Denmark and Sweden say those natural gas pipelines were attacked with large amounts of explosives. The latest oil pipeline leak is, one, uh, is on one of the world's longest. The pipeline brings crude to countries including Belarus, Ukraine, Poland, Hungary, Austria and Germany. A Polish government security officials said the leak could be the result of an accident. Officials still investigating and looking at all possible causes though. Last year, Russia accounted for around 35% of Germany's crude oil supply. If you have any news, tips or feedback for the show, you can always email us, business at ntd.com. Still to come this evening. Microsoft's most expensive Surface device is about to get even pricier. We take a look at his new desktop computer. We talked to the founder of one of the largest firms in the video game industry. How did he go from having no money to becoming a tech billionaire? With that and much more, coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. Microsoft's unveiling its most expensive Surface computer yet. The new 28-inch Surface Studio 2 Plus desktop computer will set you back around 4300 bucks. The new desktop has a faster processor, an updated chip for faster graphics. It also has an updated display, cameras, microphone. You can also draw things on the screen. Along with the new desktop, Microsoft unveiled several other Surface Pro tablets and laptop models. But the reveal comes as Microsoft celebrates the 10th anniversary of its Surface line, although the tech company is confronting a more challenging economic environment. A looming recession could make it harder to convince customers to dish out thousands to upgrade devices. And for today's feature story, we spoke with tech billionaire Shurik Agabatov. He's the founder of video game payments firm XSOLA. It's one of the largest firms in the video game industry, that pretty much no one has ever heard of. That's because his company works behind the scenes with video game makers to facilitate in-game purchases. 
Schubert told us about his whole life from growing up without any money to how he started his business. Let's take a look. This is billionaire Shurik Agapitov, founder of video game payment system Exola. Exola allows game developers to sell in-game digital items in return for a percentage of those sales. Shurik is the 100% owner of Exola, which two investment banks have valued at $3 billion. Exola also has many prominent partners and is used in games like Fortnite, Among Us, and for honor. Shurik was born in Russia back when it was part of the USSR in a city called Perm, located along the banks of the Kama River, west of the Ural Mountains, and around 700 miles east of Moscow. Shurik grew up in a very poor family. His mother, Ala, worked in a military factory, and his father, Sergei, struggled with alcoholism and didn't have a permanent job. Shurik's mother encouraged him to study math because working in a factory all day wasn't fun, and he was very good at math. He took many math classes and participated in timed professional math competitions. This helped him make fast business decisions in real life. His only job experience other than Exola was selling books door-to-door -door at age 18. That's where he learned one of his first business lessons, to never skip any door for opportunities. Then at the eventful age of 21, his father Sergei passed away, and he met his future wife Yana, who inspired him to start the company. I started my company um, um, just to make, uh, make money. I want to keep it real, so I thought if I was able to uh, buy Adidas original shoes I really want, that would be a dramatic change of the world for me. So I, I started learning uh, how I can make money online and I uh, learned about every possible uh, payment options on the internet. And um, when I learned about every virtual currency back then and virtual money, I also learned with the currency inside the video games. And I thought uh, exchange uh, real currency for the video game currency, it's, it's, it could be a business. I opened the ICQ messengers and started developing the business development all by myself and and try to um, engage with the video games and uh, offer them additional payment options. Then at age 25, Shurik moved from Russia to America to get his company funded. He failed to do so, but built up the company by himself anyways as the sole owner. It took him around 10 years to integrate every possible way to pay for video games in every country. Get games while they're small and, um, and uh, help them to grow together. So with the Fortnite, we integrated with the creator of the Fortnite Epic Games before they release the Fortnite. We have integration with Twitch before they get acquired by Amazon. Before pandemic, um, Ixola was attend 52 different events. Mostly every week, my BD team and marketing team on the B2B trade shows. And the biggest shows for us is a um, Game Developer Conference, GDC in San Francisco, uh, Gamescom in Germany, China Joy in China. Exola now has 700 payment options and offices in the United States, Ireland, the UK, Germany, Cyprus, Russia, India, Malaysia, Singapore, China, South Korea, and even the United Arab Emirates. And now, Agapitov is launching a new metaverse-based project 
called X.LA. X.LA rewards creators with virtual currency after they develop part of the metaverse, incentivizing them to create. I'm talking about creating the income stream for the uh, potentially a lot of the people who are able to create something. Somebody who able to create the virtual character who today work for the for the big corporation like Disney. Somebody who able to write the story for New York Times. The opportunities for the people to have multiple sources of income in the form of revenue share. With the Web3 and the Metaverse, that's, that's what's, uh, in my view, it's the a, it's a biggest opportunity. Shurik currently lives in Los Angeles with his wife and daughter. He's allocated 15% of his budget into X.LA. The internet helped him achieve his goals back in Russia, and now, he believes X.LA can do the same for others. Nice story. As the latest to the Entity Business team and myself, Paul Graney, you can follow me on Twitter, though, if you're there. And if you have any news, tips, or feedback for the show, please email us, business at ntd.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.